Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. This week's interview is with Beth Selliers. Beth is a former teacher turned entrepreneur. We talk about living your mission. We talk about bad moments propelling us forward. It's deep and soulful and thoughtful. And I hope that you have as much fun listening to it as I had in connecting with Beth. Hi, Beth. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. So, I don't know if this will come out on a Friday. Happy whatever it is. Happy day whatever to- day. <laughs> I hope it's a swell one. <laughs> um, so just so you know, my name's Erin. I'm an executive life coach. I work with like high-performing people who do really cool things. And this podcast called This Is Not Advice um, is my place where I get to not be a know-it-all because I also happen to be a former lawyer and comedian. So... <laughs> I'm going to do all of my best to not give you advice. I will give you advice that you didn't ask for. I'm sorry for that ahead of time. It's all good. I love advice. Cool. Um, so who are you, Beth? Wow. I, my intersections are not as cool as former lawyer and comedian. That's awesome. Um, I am a founder CEO of Custom Learning Atelier. We are a workshop of maverick content designers out to help the change makers of the world by using the art and science of learning to increase their capacity uh, to make the world a better place. So we work mainly with uh, socially and environmentally conscious leaders and their organizations, and and we want to be the people who help the do-gooders. How did that happen? You know, I just woke <laughs> up and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. Um, not at all. Uh, it happened. It happened after a series and we're talking like decades long series. Um, We've got time. Okay. Decades long series of experience dissonance and, and being like, well, can I curse on here? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Um, I should have asked that before. Anywho. So yeah, dissonance, uh, felt dissonance and not knowing how to express it, not know what to do with it. And then as I became, especially in my career, more advanced, and then I was like, oh, this shit's not good. This is not right in the world. Um, and ignored my internal dissonance so much that I literally collapsed in my classroom. Thankfully, there are no students there. Um, diagnosed with depression um, and then left the, the classroom that next year, that year, um, to go back to get my PhD and be like, I got to figure this shit out. Like, this isn't good. The, mm-hmm. the difference between the promise of reality, promise of education, the reality of education for many of my students as a teacher is, is bullshit. Um, and so that put me on a track of doing something different. Mm-hmm. And I tried working in various organizations, doing different things. So, you know, consultant across industries, loved it, met some badass people in this world doing really wonderful things. Um, and then um, my life kind of changed abruptly about a year, almost two years ago. Um, and I decided, screw it. I'm going to double down and build the company I wish I could work for and make the change I want to make. And uh, I, I've been recently introduced to the phrase of spend your privilege and I have some. So if I'm not going to put myself out there and try, then am I doing? You know? So yeah, totally. So here I am. That's my company. So That's what I'm doing. when you say dissonance, mm-hmm. like what do you mean? Um, for me, um, dissonance is the internal feeling between, um, something's not right. 
Either mm-hmm. something that you're saying and you're doing is not aligned, something you're hearing and you're feeling is not aligned, mm-hmm. something you're wanting but not having is not. So there's some sort of misalignment. And for me, it's a very physical feeling as well as an emotional feeling. Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, those are ways of tapping into it. And I've experienced that through different exper- you know, things in my entire life. Now, if, of course, in retrospect, having the language to talk about it and put language to it has been powerful. Um, but yeah, I think there, I've always had an outlet through the dissonance. And then I got to the point where I needed new tools. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like, I love a good dark night of the soul. Mm. I had mine. It's how I ended up doing this. Just like a, a massive breakup that, you know, it wasn't a massive breakup. It was a breakup that just crushed me and turned me into a different person. And so like, I remember sitting on my deck and I was like, I don't want to spend 50 to 60 hours a week doing something that, that doesn't bring me any joy. Like I need to like my life and this is not working anymore. Right. Isn't that, I talked to so many, especially women. And why is it that we're like, decades and decades and decades and decades into our lives. And we're now being like, you know what? I should really enjoy my life as if it's like, <laughs> we're ever supposed you know, to. like man, I'm going to be, a, I'm going to go against the grain and actually enjoy what I fucking do. And I'm like, why is this? Why we, we live in a world where that's a breakthrough as opposed to norm. So I hear you. What, what do you like about what you do? Oh, what I like about what I do is that. I don't feel the dissonance anymore. Like I feel happy. I feel genuinely happy and aligned and I'm excited to get to work and I'm excited to take breaks and I'm doing exactly what I want to do. Um, uh huh. Yeah. So tell me more like day, what, what, what does your company actually do? Like how do we see the product in the world? Yeah, we often talk, I often talk about like, what do you do with your hands? Like, just tell me what you do with your hands. Like if I showed up, what would you be doing? Mm-hmm. Um, that's how we we operate also to take theory into practice. Like, what are you going to do with it, right? I mean, sit around and talk forever. Um, so what do we do? So we create learning experiences. And it would be super simple and easy if we did like templated shit and had stuff we sold and licensed people all the people all the time to say, Hey, do you have these trainings? Do you have this curriculum? Do you have this content? Do you have this blah, 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 that we could license from you, buy from you, rent from you, train, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Nope, everything's custom design. So with that said, uh, we do anything from write and create curriculum and content across industries, across age levels, across the world, et cetera. Um, we do events. We do deep audits where organizations are like, here's what we've been doing with our learning and our personal development, professional development, our learning and development, teaching and learning, whatever people call it in their given industry. And we go and make sure and identify if it's aligned or not with what they want to be doing and where they want to be going. Um Sometimes we, we just do like workshopping, consulting. Other times we build out e-learning modules. Sometimes we go and facilitate. Sometimes we um, physically take what they want to be teaching and create um, experiences for their learners, um, whether it's inside their company or with their own community and their own audience and their own audiences and their own clients of um, how do we take this this content and make it meaningful for the people who you're seeking to reach? So what's meaningful content? <laughs> meaningful content? <laughs> <laughs> like it seems yeah. it seems like a pretty basic question, but like mm-hmm. what's meaningful to me might not be meaningful to somebody else. So how do you know what meaningful content is? So much of our work is spent getting to know the company and get to know the leader um, mm-hmm. because we know that meaningful learning, which is intricately related to the content, uh, demands knowing who that person is and uh, an expertise within our company is being able to understand and um, research and dive into the social, social, cultural, economic, and historical context of learning. And so 
oftentimes we're like, oh, we have people are like, oh, I have this great content I want to get out. And the world is no shortage of content. You can YouTube and Google yourself to the grave. However, if you're designing for a specific audience and for with specific values and for a specific purpose, then how you put that content together, how you invite people into that content, the touch points along the way, the scope, the sequence, the opportunities for the learner to know themselves and know the world and the validation. So all these, all these parts that are traditionally left out of most content design, whether you're talking K-12, where you're talking nonprofits, NGOs, for-profit corporations, community-based organizations, um, the status quo is to just push the content out there and be like, hey guys, pick this up. It's great. Uh, but we know that meaningful learning is requires knowing the identity of the learners and the people involved in that space, being able to create safe spaces where they can expend, extend themselves to that uncomfortable place where growth and change happens. And also understanding where their capabilities and capacities lie now and where they're going. Um, so the meaningful mm-hmm. part is, I guess, in a nutshell, it would be saying that is highly contextualized. So you do a lot of what I do. I just happen to do it mostly one-on-one, and you happen to do it with groups is what I'm hearing. Yes. That's what I'm hearing as well. Yeah. It's kind of – of course I knew I would like you. (laughs) (laughs) Right back at you. Um. So I, what I'm hearing is that a lot of times what you're focusing on is this this idea of the gap, the gap between what we what we and our people know and what we actually want them to know or be mm-hmm. able to execute based upon. Yeah, um, and that's scary because if you're we work with a lot, especially female entrepreneurs and leaders, and this is your baby, right? Like if you create mm-hmm. a company, like that's your jam, and it's. To, to expand your company and to grow and to increase your capacity means you have to let go of it. And you can't, and we worked with one CEO and she's like, I've always been doing the training, but I can't just be the only person doing the training. I got other shit to do. So how can I infuse our values? So I know that, so I know that the 300th person to take this is still getting the same values and the same fidelity of the content if mm-hmm. I was up in front of them speaking. And so that's yeah. one of the things we work to bring into that element um, because it's scary. It's scary to grow and it's scary to change. Yeah. How do people like, how do people find you to do this kind of thing? Like how did this even become your your career? Like what? How'd I end up doing this every <laughs> Like, I just, I would never, I mean, I'm not in the education space, so Mm -hmm. I would never have thought of it anyway. But how did this come up for you that you were like, oh, this is my baby and this is how I'm going to go help people make their babies grow? Um, Well, it helped. I'm I'm really stubborn. So that's part of it. Um, So I was originally in professional life, a classroom, public school classroom teacher, mostly middle school and high school English language arts. Um, Then after that, I went and got my PhD to better understand the forces that I was experiencing because no one ever comes up to a classroom teacher and is like, hey, what do you think? Let's make changes. If people are gathered around, like usually applauding teachers, it's usually other teachers. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, I need to get my ass in spaces where I can make a difference policy structure wise, because there are brilliant teachers doing wonderful work right now in and out of classrooms on Zoom and all the craziness they've had to deal with this past year. Um, but I was starting to feel those forces that are structural and are the status quo um, in social condition in social conditioning. So I needed the that's I had to play the game, right? You need the letters behind your name. You need to be able to talk about. It, you need to be able to network your way into those spaces. So that's what I did. Um, and then afterwards, I coached first year, often unlicensed teachers in high need schools. Um, then became found dissonance in that space as well. Um, where eventually it went to like a quantity over quality value felt Mm. like from some leadership. And then I kind of didn't know what to do. I felt heartbroken. I felt heartbroken. Um, And so my partner, my boyfriend at the time was building a business at that time, which was going really well. So I kind of helped them. Um, 
like to say sometimes I was founder adjacent. I saw the good, bad, and the ugly of starting a successful company um, and kind of helped them. I did some consulting with people I knew. I've been in the industry for long enough. At the time, I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is a huge, huge city. Um, and so I kind of just did consulting work. And then uh, that relationship ended and I was living in the state of Ohio and I was like, well, I guess I could continue consulting and just be, you know, month by month, hoping for the next project, piece it together. And then I was like, this isn't about me. First of all, that's exhausting and I'm not making the change I want to see. Second of all, it's really lonely. I was a middle school teacher. I like working and collaborating with people. I think more heads are better than one. More perspectives are better than one. Multiple ways of knowing are better than one. Um, and I was like, I just want, I know some badass women. I just want to work with them. I want all of us to get paid well. I want us to be able to work remotely, call oh our own God, shots, yep. and do the work that really matters. And I was like, that's just what I want to do. And I was like, fine, I'll build the company for all of us to work at. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. And <laughs> and I was I was lucky. I you know I've been in the industry um, for 20 plus years, and right now it's word of mouth. And mm-hmm. um, Right now it's word of mouth and then I'm just networking the crap out of it. Um, and wait, I don't think I know what your company is called off the top of my oh, head. What is your company? Custom Learning Atelier. Custom Learning Atelier. Yeah. yeah I would. I, you said that. I completely forgot. No, it. it's okay. Cause it's like, oh, custom. Oh, learning. And then Atelier. It's like, if, if you sit long with it, you're like, oh, it's kind of a mind bend, but Atelier is French for a workshop. So I definitely wanted to bring in that collective community, um, collective knowledge aspect to things and that there things need to be workshopped. You have to go through something to create something better. The sum of all parts, uh, which I think is often antithetical to how a lot of, um, learning and development, um, and how we approach that normally. What, um, well, what's your big, like 10 year, 20 year goal. What do you want for, I'm going to call it CLA. So I don't, uh, and you know, I word. call it CLA too. Okay. It's just shorter. What do you want? What do you want CLA to look like in 20 years? Oh, I want CLA to be the go-to place where uh, if you're a socially or environmentally aligned leader, if you're a B Corp, um, if you're in that space and you're doing the work and you need to increase your capacity, internally or externally to do more good work. I want to, we, CLA wants to be the go-to cross industry. We want to be able to reach into a deep breadth of knowledge and expertise and brilliance within the company and pull and curate teams that are again, custom designed to meet the specific needs that's being brought to us. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's the goal. What's it like to live your values? I've never been happier. I've never been calmer. Um, I, I was, I've been, I've been called. Oh, I've been called a lot of things. Who hasn't? Especially in your 40th <laughs> decade, right? Um, uh, and also if you're a woman. Right. Like, I think that just means you're living life. Um, <laughs> so um, I used to blow up. Like I used to not be able to contain my anger, frustration, dissonance, uh, fear. I didn't know how, like I would, I would suppress, I would suppress, I suppress, and then I would just erupt. Um, and I like would experience rage because there was just like, I'm feeling this one way, but I'm unable to live in this way or I'm unable to act, enact change in this way. And there was a very, it was very painful. And I didn't realize at the time, but it was because I was not living within my values, um, um, whatnot. And since being, and you know, when you're single, especially like the age of 40 and you'd been with someone for eight years and you had joint all the things and you weren't married, but all the things were intricately wrapped up in each other. Um, you know, how many times as a 41 year old, you get literally a 40 year old, you get literally a blank slate, blank canvas. And at time, I mean, obviously scary and heartbreaking and all the feelings that go along with 
breakups, um, obviously, um, but also really exciting, really exciting, especially as an adult female to be like, what do you really want to do? Like I even left my car behind. Like I left, I had like an hour and a half that I packed. My dad lived in the same state. So he and my stepmom came, pick me up, took me to their house. The next day I flew back to North Carolina. My sister picked me up and took my mama's house. Cause that's what we do. Um, and I stayed in North Carolina for a month with my like two, two pieces of luggage. And then I flew to new Orleans where I live now. My brother and sister-in-law live here. And I was like, well, let me just go chill with them for a little bit. I don't know what I'm going to do. Thankfully I, I had contract work that I was carrying with me, but all I needed was internet connection. Gratefully, very luckily. Um, and I almost took a job in DC and then I, I turned that down and I was like, no, this is my chance. If I really want to go for it, how much more space do I have to be given by the universe to go for it? And I said, fuck it. And I never left New Orleans. So I got an apartment, set up business, and here we are. How many of your friends and colleagues do you know that have had that opportunity and didn't take it? Of like the blank slate of like, mm-hmm. you're free from all. Um I guess probably with no, cause that's the other thing. Like I don't have kids. I don't have, I don't own anything. <laughs> like I have very few other responsibilities. Um, maybe, maybe a couple, maybe a handful. Um, yeah. but at the same time, I, it's a really good question. I, I know that people have been in a similar place where they're like, okay, I feel like I'm at a, the, the proverbial crossroads. Um, and I know what direction they took, obviously. Um, uh, but yeah, I, not a lot. It's not a, it's, I, I, I consider it a very unique position. And I was like, well, I have to even, you know, I got to run with it. Yeah. I kind of, I mean, I see this a lot because this is why people talk to me. People talk to me because they're having that moment of like shit or get off the pot. Am I going to do this thing? Is this idea terrible or crazy or amazing? Like, should I be a yoga yoga wellness retreat guru? And I'm like, yes, of course you should. Why wouldn't you want to do that if that's what you want to do? And the things that like stop people are like, oh, but what about, what about the house or what about the kids or what about whatever? And as a woman in the United States without kids or a partner, like there is a privilege to that. And also the other side of it is that you get unseen. You are not part of the community in the same way. You have to like create your work baby or in other, like I just think as women, we're kind of socialized to prove our value. Mm -hmm. And if it's not babies, it should be business. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's a very weird, weird. It's not the right word. It's a, it's a very unique specific, you know, instance. And I do realize the privilege I have without, I don't have a mortgage. I don't have a husband. I don't have kids. I don't have a pet. So won't let me have a pet here. Um, <laughs> but, what would you get? Would you get a dog? Uh, I had a dog in my previous relationship and I miss him terribly. He's no longer with us. The mm-hmm. pet, the ex-boyfriend's still alive. He's good. I assume I'm talking to him. Um, <laughs> when I said that, I was like, that sounds weird. I was like, no, the dog dog passed. Um, <laughs> my friends who know this whole story will be like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, now I kind of want to know the short version of this story. Like, oh, whatever you'd be willing to share. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. So, oh, man. This is so weird because... I haven't talked about it. I got to a point where obviously I needed to process the whole breakup. Um, I was, I was dumped like full, full stop. Um, and to the point where I have to say there are, are more days than not that I really kind of just want to write him a thank you note and be like, thank you. Like genuinely from my heart. Cause I've never been happier. And I don't know. It was interesting when you're bringing up talking to women about, 
you know, should I go and I want to do, be, you know, open a yoga tree or open an ice cream shop or whatever your thing is, right? Like, should I go do this? I realized that my problem has never been not knowing. My problem has been having the guts to follow what I knew. I always knew. I always have. I have a very strong, like, internal yay or nay. Mm-hmm. My problem has been that I've, to a fault and conditioned to the point where then I didn't even realize I was doing it so much, but to suppress my knowing in order to either make peace, go along, do what was quote unquote more reasonable, what made more sense, what other people were telling me was smart, all these things. Um, and so being out of that relationship and being, I did, I felt like I was kicked out of my life very abruptly. And so that was a very, that makes you like reflect on things very deeply. And thankfully yeah. I had the support and the space to be able to do so. Um, but yeah, it was, um, you know, to the point where we wanted such different things. And in that last, I would probably guess year, I think I was starting to find my two feet and stand on my own. Like, no, this is what I motherfucking want. And I don't think that went over well. <laughs> you don't say, you don't say after. I mean, it years. went over well in the long run. It went over <laughs> real well. Cause I'm great. Uh, but in you that, are, you're fantastic. But in that relationship that didn't go over well when all of a sudden, cause I'd started a similar, not similar, I'd started kind of doing more work and getting more success individually as a, mm-hmm. my own self, um, where we were living in my own business, um, and taking, needing more, making more demands for my own time and my own needs and my own resources and my own, like, this is my boundaries, my non-negotiables and starting to step into those, um, and really trying to find that voice through various practices that I was like, it's time. And it was funny. I was starting to step into myself. I felt it. It felt really good. And then all of a sudden it was like two months later, it was like, check. (laughs) Um, Turns out, I mean, this is probably not what he said, but the message is kind of turns out I don't actually like the real you. Yeah. Like this isn't, this isn't us. Yeah. And I don't, and I, um, yeah. And you know, you, you do that stuff as a, well, was I ever the real me or was I the real me and then became not the real me? And then I had to accept, well, they're all real parts of me. Like I'm mm-hmm. a shitty actress. I can't lie worth a damn. Like all the emotions <laughs> right here. It's just exhausting to try not to, to cover that sort of stuff up. Um, and so I don't know. I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. All I know is that, um, who I was becoming and in my version of the story, because of course there's multiple stories um, in my version, my perspective, I was becoming more fully me and pieces of me who um, I think friends who I've had, you know, since I was 12 would be like, Oh, that's so Beth. We're starting to reemerge. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, that wasn't, that wasn't cool and what he needed and wanted for his own life. And in he, you know, we were together. He changed too. understand. We all change over a course of eight years. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So are you like, do you currently date people? No, no. no. I mean, first there's a pandemic. I've never been a cool. I've never been a dater. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a total of, I guess this is getting really personal. Three boyfriends. I've gone on a handful of dates. I just don't. Mm-hmm. I'm very protective of my time and energy and just to shoot the shit with a stranger just because like usually we, there's going to be some chance we, I might go on a date. I might like someone it forms into something. Um, but the whole idea of, and of course last time I dated or how I met my last boyfriend, there was no social. I mean, there could have been like, you know, the swiping, thing on the phones for the dating whatever i don't think there was no i don't know how long it, like eight years ago i don't think that it was, there was by now it's 10 years ago like no it wasn't like now everyone meets on like the online dating things or whatever mm-hmm. i'm just like ah oh, it's not appetizing 
Jimmy. Um, but then it was funny. I was talking to one of my girlfriends and she's like, have you thought about dating? Like, what if like the quote unquote perfect for you person right now showed up? And I was like, mm, that'd be awesome. I could totally date someone, but I don't want them to live here. I need like a long distance thing because I don't mm. need you up in my space <laughs> right now. So then I was like, ooh, maybe I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, maybe you're not ready. And maybe. Yeah. I mean, this is just my, this is just a wildly, uh, probably inappropriate assertion, but it could be that because you had to assimilate so much in your previous relationship. Mm-hmm that you don't want somebody to be close by so that you don't like subconsciously put yourself in a situation where you assimilate again and lose all of the ground that you've gained. Yeah. I I have no doubt. I have no doubt that that's an aspect of it. Um, And I've thought about that um, of going back on the previous relationship and being like, I mean, I, I accept responsibility. I mean, I was consciously Mm -hmm. there. I made decisions. I vocalized them. I, I stuck to them. Um, I'm a loyal person. I, I can say that about myself. Um, yeah. So I accept full responsibility of how I showed up and how I changed or did not change. But I think there is definitely a fear. There's a concern, I would say, that I need to continue to work on my own boundaries and who I am and what I'm building so that mm-hmm. um, it does not fall prey to external pressures. <laughs> Let's just say that you have that. Yeah. Your your boundaries, you know you can stick with yourself. You're not worried about like mm-hmm. somebody bogarting your time or whatever. Yeah. Um I don't know if that term I don't know what that term means or if it's appropriate. I should look that up. I don't know. You um, said that and that was exactly like the filter I went through. I was like, oh, I've I haven't heard that term in a long time. Then I was like, I'm pretty sure it's like Humphrey Bogart, right? I don't know. And then I was like, what in the context of it? And I was like, oh, like, yeah, I did the same it's, thing. I was like, it's a stealing your time. What I meant to say was stealing your time or taking your time away from you. Yeah. It's so many, there's so many like phrases like that are in our culture that are super racist oh, yeah. that I would never even think about it. Like mm-hmm. the other day we were talking in my um, coaching cohort about the word pioneer. Mm-hmm. Like it seemed pretty flat. And then somebody was like, well, Actually, pioneer kind of gives this like, oh, look at us. We are going to take over this land. And you, who, like first Americans, don't belong here. Like that whole yeah conquering way of being. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It goes through that whole like line of like discovered America. Like, no, you didn't, jackass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, which, which is so funny you bring up. Like that's that's what we're trying to you know, learning education is the, Mm -hmm. if not greatest social conditioning tool, Um, you know? And so that's, you know, back like in regards to the company, that's what we want to do. We want to use that same tool to actually condition us to be better humans. I mean, (laughs) I love that you have a mission that is similar to my mission. My mission is more like you do not have to hate your life. Like, that's it. You just flat out. Like, you can be a total badass and a superstar and, like, love yourself at the same time. And you can also really enjoy what you're up to. Um, and I think yeah. a lot of people, especially leaders, especially women leaders, find themselves martyrs to um, their situations or what they want to create or whatever. Or something else gets martyred, like their relationships or, mm-hmm. you know, their relationships with their kids or how they spend time with their family. Um, anyway, yeah. back to what I was going to ask you, which was oh, yeah. <laughs> assuming that your boundaries were uh, both static and flexible. Uh-huh. Like, you know, what would your ideal relationship be? Oh, my gosh. One of expansion and support. Expansion and support. That would be um, in a friend. Mm-hmm. A best friend, expansion, and support. Like, 
wanting each other to be their best selves and respecting each other to make the best choices for themselves um, and support them in those decisions. And being a willing, being accomplice in helping them achieve those, but also being an honest, safe sounding board, you know? Mm. Um, Yeah. Surface level conversations or, um, you know, I don't want a roommate. I've never been a roommate person. It's just not for me. Um, so like there would definitely need to be a, um, very much like we're a team and we're to support mm-hmm. ourselves, each other like that. Like we're individuals yeah. and we're a team. When I was a kid, my brother was the kind of kid who would run off at the zoo. And so my parents got him what we called a leash, which was just basically a telephone cord That's that awesome. we put around his wrist. Like it the, sounds like the spinning, like the old fat, oh, yeah, like spirals and everything. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, now I'm thinking of rotary phones. I'm dating both of us right now. Like that's I how know. old we are. Have you seen, have you seen the video of the teenagers who have like three minutes to figure out how to use a rotary phone? No. <laughs> look, look it up on up. YouTube. It cracks me up every time they're like, oh what God. is this? Oh how do gosh. you find a phone number? <laughs> Oh, back in the day when I used to memorize phone numbers. Oh, anyway, okay. <laughs> what was I get? Oh, so it reminds me of that kind of cord, right? Where you mm-hmm. are tied to somebody, but like there's flexibility to come together and go apart and you work together in tandem separately. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I recognize the fact that I wasn't great at that in my last relationship. Like those are skills mm-hmm. that I recognize that I need to work on myself to bring into that relationship. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's also the thing that you're teaching other people to do in their leadership with their companies. Mm. Yeah. They're the that that element of uh uh being dynamic. Mm-hmm. Not like connotation wise, but actually dynamic. Uh uh the denotation of that word. Um of being the whole reflective in action. The dialogue if we go back and I nerd out and go like straight free array um, in educational theory um, of that. You need both of those things in tandem mm-hmm. to make the space available for growth to happen. All right. And I think um, being able to practice that as an individual is, you know, why aren't we teaching that in damn school? Um, <laughs> you know, of how to, of how to do that in order to then partner with someone who also is able to have those skill sets. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, this whole be, if you want to, you know, even with the company, I want to create something that I have not seen exist yet that exists outside the status quo. Therefore I myself cannot operate within the same parameters of the status quo in order to change something that's outside the status quo. You know what I mean? Like there has to be alignment in that. And I think that holds, holds true in business, in relationships, whether it's romantic or, you know, your BFFs, your family members, your neighbors, etc. Yeah. So what are some of the things that like stop you from moving forward? Like how do mm. you... Um. I've, I've anxiety. Um, I can get trapped up in my own head pretty darn easily. Um, you know, thinking good enough. I can't do this. They're going to think I'm a fraud. All, you know, all those things, all the way to worst case scenarios, blah, blah, blah. And, and get myself into anxiety and that, that can shut me down. That can Mm -hmm. make me turn away from my to-do list. And then of course, by not doing that, then it just breeds more anxiety. (laughs) It's a horrible loop. I know know the anxiety (laughs) like spiral of doom. I've been in that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like everyone's like, you know, I sometimes consider Twitter like scrolling the, you know, the scroll of doom or whatever. It's the same, you know, with our mental and emotional and all of our wellness that anxiety Mm -hmm. can 
can disrupt all those as well. And so my daily practice is to keep my rituals and my boundaries so that I keep the anxiety at bay so I can actually do the work that I'm, I'm here to do. But anxiety is definitely, definitely the one. Yeah. So I think what I heard you say, the thing that works for you to move past it is to really focus on like your health and well-being. Is there anything else that like works for you to get out of that spiral of doom or anxiety place or whatever else it is that you want to call it? Yeah. Um, so if I, I mean, even if it's just to remind ourselves that it's still there, it comes back around. Um, and so if I find myself in that space where for whatever reason, I haven't been upholding my boundaries, I haven't been doing my rituals, my doing the things that I know bring me joy and keep me centered. And I find myself, you know, experiencing depression or anxiety. Um, I usually stop first, acknowledge it, be like, okay, I've been here before. I can get through this, which is really wonderful because the first time you find yourself in that space is so damn scary that it's immobilizing. Now knowing and recognizing be like, oh, there you are. Okay. We're going to do this again. Um, come on in. Let's, let's go for it. Oh, hello. Hello. Great. Great cloud of doom. Exactly. Look at me not feeling let's anything and not wanting to do anything. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's go, let's go take a walk. Um, and sometimes that's what I do. I usually am like, okay, I, I figure out and I kind of get quiet and be like, what do I really need? What do I really need? And sometimes it's sleep. Sometimes it's, I need to mm-hmm. go down. Um, I live in New Orleans and I live off magazine street. I like, walk down. I'm like, sometimes I just need to go window shopping. I just need to go out and see other human beings in life, see the blue sky, look at pretty things and have lunch. Like sometimes it's very basic. Sometimes I was like, I just need to go for a walk in the park. I just need to see greenery. Other times I'm like, I just need to play this music really loudly and sing or dance or cry or do whatever. And so it's usually a, um, there's usually always movement involved and there's usually always Mm -hmm. most of the time music involved. Uh, That doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, you have a pretty feminine presence and Mm. like, I think as women being in our bodies is how we get present to our greatness. when we're like here with ourselves. Um, What is something that other people do that you're like, man, I've, freaking wish that worked for me. Oh, that's a really good question. I used to, I used to wish I could just go to work and leave it behind. Like I used to, cause as a classroom teacher, like you're never done working. Like you don't pick the job cause of the money you pick it because you're there to make a difference. Um, and what your students go through, you know, you carry home with you and it's, you don't turn it off. Right. So you're never down, you don't have the talent time, but so many people, my family and my friends, you know, they had different occupations where they're like, not is it's Friday at five. What do you think about work for, you know, or like there was not, there was, they had like a turnoff in their brain where they could like totally detach and like go to that place. And I used to be envious of that. And now I'm, Not at all, (laughs) Um, because I think that's what I think. I think the work that I do demands my whole person being within the work and Mm -hmm. to shut myself off or only bring parts of myself to it or only bring parts of it into my life would be just perpetuating that whole siloed, you know, compartmentalized nine to five bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that I wish worked for me that has never, ever, ever worked for me is um, letting other people deal with it. Mm. Like, it just doesn't help me to unload or make somebody else deal with it. I'd rather be collaborative. Yeah. Even if it's like collaboration with, hey, I need you to listen to me as I talk out all of the things I'm freaked out about. <laughs> with me. I need people with me. So community is really important to me and connection is really important to me. 
Yeah, it's hugely important. And I've become very cognizant and very purposeful in what I'm consuming, mm-hmm. um, not just food and drink wise, uh, not just sleep wise, but what I'm listening to, what I'm watching, what I'm reading, who I'm in communion with. Like, um, I realized that um, being a female entrepreneur, building a business, which is something I never thought I'd do. Um, it's all new. I don't know how to do this. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't see it. It's, um, I don't know what that looks like. It feels very uncomfortable. And so I'm consciously putting myself in situations where I'm absorbing the energy of other mm-hmm. strong females doing their thing. And that's been enormously helpful. Oh my God. Women being helpful with other women is my favorite thing in the world. We're bulletproof vests. It is like, yeah. Talk about like just a wave of like at the same time, such strong badassness and Mm -hmm. soft vulnerableness at the same time. Yeah. It's really, it's really magical. It's been really, yeah. I've been really grateful for the communities I've been able to be a part of. I think that there's a risk in my podcast of like, it sounding as though I don't like men. I love men. I really do. And I just really like how, well, one, I like the dismantling of white feminism Mm, and how it's, um, seeing it in progress has been really kind of cool. And two, feminine leadership tends to be collaborative. Um, And in my experience, collaboration breeds genius. Like beyond just the singular, oh, I have a good idea. I'll go execute it. Yeah. Um, So. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's everyone harks back to like the Renaissance, but the Renaissance was the Renaissance because it was fucking collaborative. It was people met up in cafes and over wine and coffee and who knows what else they were consuming. We're like, here's what I'm working on. Here's what I'm working on. Oh, that's cool shit. That's cool shit. Let's do something together. Oh, that dude gave me an idea. I'm going to incorporate that into my painting. Now everyone's like, oh, that's brilliant. But it's all collaboration, like across mm-hmm. um, disciplines, right? And so everyone's all like, oh, that was so brilliant. Now you have to be in your like cubicle. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> Don't like laud the, laud, you know, all the change makers of the world. And then you're like, sit in your cubicle and wear gray and brown and uh, blue to the office and do this and that. And then, um, and then I don't know what this whole agile thing is. That's now become hugely pos- pop, uh, popular. I heard on a podcast once and this dude who I looked it up and he was, uh, he was a white male of which I love. I, I love dudes. Uh, don't get me wrong. Um, <laughs> Maybe I should subtitle this. This is not advice. I love dudes. Uh, yeah. Really. Well, Actually, I don't we love do. all dudes, but I don't love all women either. Like, Hope to respect and honor, but you know, aside from that, um, but yeah, it, it was infuriating because, uh, like in this instance, and it'd be like the whole mansplaining thing all over again, like co opting an idea from matriarchal societies of collaboration and being agile, but really just fucking responding to people's needs. <laughs> you mean what women have done? the world over since the dawn of time. And now you're just making a shit ton of money. Cause you call it agile. Like, and no, like pay your bills, do what you got to do and honor where it's coming from and uplift women who are doing it. Like, and like big fan of the yes. And like, yeah, okay. You have some cool ideas. That's great. And you did not invent this. Like you did not invent this at the same time. Like if you're proposing that at your your company, be like you're going to get trained in agile, blah blah blah, or lean whatever the you know phrase of the month or the year is, whatever the trend mm-hmm. is. Um, are you actually doing that within your company? Like, do you have paid maternity and paternity leave? Like, are are you ahead of me? Are all of your yeah? 
are all of your employees on a high deductible health insurance and you're actually paying them $40,000 a year so they can't actually pay for the high deductible, that kind of thing? Exactly. And so it's it's just very, um, it's very frustrating when I hear things that especially, and, and it is, there is like a, a, a response um, because as a female, as a woman, like being on the other end of mm-hmm. that, and then you see a someone, a dude, whether consciously or unconsciously, um, put an idea out there and not recognize that the world over, that that is something that traditionally happens in matriarchal societies and communities and families and whatnot. And likewise with, uh, you know, appropriation, especially of white people appropriating cultures around the world um, Mm -hmm. all the time and making boatloads of money on it. Um, Saying the exact same thing. People are just more comfortable because it's a white person saying instead of a black person saying it. And you're like, that's, that's some, that's some unchecked bias you got going on. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's, I, thankfully we're all having these conversations. Um, I think probably likewise with yourself as well. So how can we do that really intentionally and how can we build that into the structures of our daily lives to make that the new normal? Um, And then to open up spaces for other people to step into that as well. I think that's, you know, like we started the conversation about like spend your privilege, like Mm -hmm. how are you creating spaces for people to show up authentically as themselves um, and get paid (laughs) equally um, and to be treated as human beings, all the, you know, all the things. Yeah. I think one of the things that always gets me is that, uh, people separate humans from business Mm. and, uh, business is created by humans for humans. So like, why is it an either or? Yeah. It's, um, well, it's really interesting because coming up through being a public school teacher, like I've never worked for a big corporation. I've never had a corporate job. Um, and so, but I, my earliest experiences with business as a professional were business people coming into the schools and telling us how to do our jobs. And I'm like, dude, you don't know my kids. What the hell? Like, no, I'm not going to apply your blah, 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 blah to my, like, wait a second. What about, yeah, that sounds all great, but I have three kids who are experiencing homelessness. And then I have five kids who don't speak English as a, as a first language. And then I have a whole bunch of students on IEPs and I have all these, and we just were told we have no more paper for the rest of the month. And so all those contacts, and then you have someone coming in who's like, I'm a CEO. Let me be a consultant. Like, let me tell you things. And I was like, there's a dialogue to have there that we can learn from each other. But the way that, that the the privilege of being able to come into a space and be like, I know what to do for you um, didn't sit well with me. And so, um, and so I, I took issue with that. And I actually, I, I, we're becoming a, well, we were going to uh, apply for B Corp certification this year. Oh my God. That's so exciting. I'm, I'm over the moon. I'm, I'm so excited. I knew I wanted to have a B Corp before Wait, I even knew what business. Tell I would people have. what a B Corp is okay. because not necessarily everyone knows. Okay. So B Corp is a, comes from B lab and B lab is an external third party certification organization that goes through like every darn part of your business. I think there's, I'm going to get it wrong, six or so different things from governance to resourcing to how you treat your employees to how carbon emissions, blah, blah, blah. And there's different um, parameters, whether you're service-based or product-based, et cetera. And you have to have at least 80 out of 200 points to get certification. Now that may not seem like a lot, but it's, it's, it's really strict. Most, if I have it correctly, last time I heard like majority, if you don't have outside consultant help, like people who do this for a living, like majority of people their first time don't get it. It's really difficult because they look at all those things that we don't normally think about that impact Mm -hmm. either how we're treating people or how we're treating the planet. So it's basically the triple bottom line. And instead of just people doing doing the optics thing possibly and being like, Oh yeah, we care about people. We care about the planet, you know, and they put things out on their social media, but has anything really changed um, structurally? 
Has it changed um, institutionally, culturally, et cetera, in your business? And and that's certification to, to prove that you do. Um, so anyways, that's B Corp, bcorporation.net, I believe. Check it out. Some of the biggies are Ben & Jerry's, Patagonia. Um, I believe Jenny's Ice Cream is one, one of my faves. Um, all across the world. Um, and Eileen Fisher and uh, New Belgium Brewery. Um, so, you know, oh, I didn't know that they were, before. yeah, yeah, that's, they do rad stuff. Um, New Belgium, they're the ones who got me learning about ESOP model, the employee stock option opportunity. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, it's a way to sell your company and retire, but not actually sell your company. You sell it to the employees so that then they have a stake in it. Yeah. Um, and it's just brilliant. Like that ownership and in the United States, especially with our economic system, ownership is huge. Um, and yes. so being able to look at ways to transfer ownership to the people who are within the organization. And then if you're intentionally building that organization to be representative of the world, <laughs> um, then I, you know, that can, that's really powerful. So, so anyways, so we're going to apply this year. We're working on it now. When, when does that application go in? Oh my gosh. So it's fits and starts. It's really difficult. I've been plugging away, like, um, you need like a year's worth of information about your company really mm-hmm. to kind of dive in and, and do that. Um, and it's just, it's a lot, it's overwhelming. And so, um, I've plugged away, I've done the assess, the baseline assessment. I've started using that as developing policies and how we're going to run, how we're going to operate, which mm-hmm. has been hugely uh, important. And then, but I'm also yeah, I say I'm founder and CEO. I'm also doing most of everything else. Like I have collaborators who we bring on for specific projects at this point, hopefully one day full-time, extremely well-paid benefits, all that badass people. Um, so I literally, I got off the phone yesterday and talked to um, a consult of someone who does this. They come in and help, mm-hmm. help organizations get their certification. Um, and it's, it's an investment time and definitely money, but, um, I can't run this business with alignment without doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, I could talk to you for forever. Right back at you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we kind of need to wrap up. And so my last question for you is one of my favorite questions. You don't have to make it a short answer, but how will you know when you've succeeded? That's a really interesting question. I, I, I guess there's two levels of that for me. One is like the bigger picture succeeded with a specific goal of this company. And that would be, I eventually want it to be an ESOP, obviously B Corp. I want to employ all the badassness that I get to meet all the time and work with. And we're making mm-hmm. really meaningful change in the world. And I can, I can look around and like, be like, Oh my gosh, y'all we've done that. Like we've created this and I'm picturing now, right now in my mind, like the collaborators we have and some I've known for almost 20 years, 15 years. Um, I'm like, wow, we're doing this and bringing people on and mentoring and like really embodying, the potential. Um, so that'll be like the moment when I'm like, damn, all right. And I'm not doing everything right. Like I can actually step back and be like, sweet. Uh, the other part is that I usually take that as a, sometimes it's a day-to-day question and other times it's an hour by hour question. Um, Mm -hmm. have you succeeded? And, um, I've allowed, I've gotten to the point where I allow myself to redefine what success means each day. Um, and I think that's been a big turning point for me because, you know, I've, I've, I have no fear of working hard. I have no fear of learning and doing the hard things and going to school and earning the degrees and doing all the stuff and do, do, do. I've, mm-hmm. I, I can knock that out of the park. Not a problem. Um, 
but giving myself the permission to redefine what does success look like today. And sometimes it's like, what does success look like this morning? And then I'll ask myself again at lunch, what does success look like this afternoon? Um, and give myself the space to define, first of all, define that for myself and then two to make that happen. Um, and it goes back to, if I'm going to help people increase their agency within various structures, then I have to be able to sustain and create my own agency. Um, and being able to claim that for oneself is, is really powerful. Yeah. So I heard two pieces. One, the piece is like success for me is the experience of my day-to-day life. Mm -hmm. And two, when I have all of the badasses in a room together and we're toasting to transforming the world in action for real right now. Yes. Yeah. Can I come to that party? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) You're in Chicago, right? Yeah, I'll I'll find a way to get there. No, just come with Andy. We've yeah. already. Oh, talked. it'll be in Chicago. No, it's going to be in New Orleans. Like, come come hang out. Say. No, so Andy, and I'm already like, I can't wait to all just come to New Orleans. We're going to have the best time ever. We're going to celebrate, do all the things. Oh my god, it's going to be great. I, I can't wait. I'm I the only one New in New Orleans. Orleans, so everyone, I'm going to have to I'm going to have to fly everyone. Here. Nope. I'll take a road trip. I'll make this a little bit more environmentally friendly. There you go. <laughs> take a boat. You can hop on. I'm not taking a boat down the Mississippi River. I mean, the river's right over there. I'm like half a mile from it. <laughs> you can take a train, but our train system is not. I don't think there is, is a train. There is. It takes a while. Our trains are not as sophisticated as they are in other parts of the world. You know what? That can be our next mission. To have trains. Right. Yeah. I love trains. Awesome. All right. I'm going to hit stop. Okay. But before I do, thank you so much, Beth. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. And it is Friday for I us know. today. And what, this is a hell of an awesome way to like end the week. Thank you. I mean, thanks for your vulnerability too. No problem. I, you got to model what you, what you respect and, and want to see in the world. So I appreciate yeah, that. Totally. This is not advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio.